0: Well, why don't, you, uh, why don't you sit back, relax, and take a seat, join the, the band, will be back a little bit later, and uh, as Lockie wheels that out, as, uh, as Lockie and, uh, as, and Jimmy said a little bit earlier, my name's Chris and I'm the communicator, one of the communicators here at Beyond Church, thanks mate, um, and to start off tonight, Hello Sunday's Winter Edition, um, I, wanted to do, I wanted to play a game, right, because church, church is not fun enough, in my opinion, and so um, what better way to get to know each other a little bit, because there's a whole heap of new faces than to play a game. It's a really, really simple game um, and you've got some cards either stuck to your bum or somewhere around you and if you don't have those cards next to you then you can just play along with the person next to you. But it's a really simple game. Um, it's the me and the not me game. Super, super easy, me and not me. So what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna put some things up on the screen and when I put them up, you get to hold up in the air whether it's me or whether it's not me. Pretty, pretty simple, right? Um, here's, here's the first one. <clears throat> Who's a good listener? Who's a good listener? Pick it. There's a lot of not me's, some me's. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of half, right? I'm kind of like half. And it depends on what mood I'm in and how much coffee I've had that morning. Right? If you talk to me before like 8 o'clock, I'm not a good listener. Okay? If you talk to me from like 1.30 to 3.30 right, right after lunch, I'm not a good listener. If you talk to me any other times, like I'm usually zoned in because I've either had coffee or I've had an afternoon nap. So I'm good to go. Um, here, here's, the, here's the next one. Who thinks, this is controversial, you have to buy a birthday present, even if the person tells you not to? There's a lot of me's in this space. No, I'm a not me on that, okay? I'm just a not me. Here's why. Um, you should just tell the truth, right? I just believe that. Just tell the truth. If you, do, if you don't want a present, I'm going to trust you. that that's what, uh, that's what you need to know. Uh, here's another one. Who's quick to admit they're wrong? Okay, uh, I'm going to be honest and say not me, not, like, just ask my wife, okay? My wife will be here a little bit later, I had to tell the truth. This morning I could lie because she wasn't here, but um, not me. What about this one? Who's quick to like everything on Facebook? There are not me, there are some me's. Yeah, I'm a not me on that one, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And here's, here's this next one. Who thinks the post has to earn the like, right? I'm sorry, but if you want me to double tap, if you want me to like it, if you want me to emoji react, you've got to give me something, you've got to earn it a little bit. Alright, this is the last one um, and this might, this might cause a lot of trouble for some people, so I apologise in advance for this question. Um, in your most recent argument, or the one you're in the middle of right now, who's right? There's some not me's, there's some me's. Um, I'm, I'm going to say, okay, you, you can, um, I'm going to say not me, I'm going to say I was, I was not right But here's why, okay, because I think on another day, it could have been this answer, like I was right. And I blame Coles. I blame Coles for this because during the week, uh, my wife and I have started doing the Coles click and collect, you know, where you do the order online and you kind of click it and then you go to the store to pick it up. And um, something happened to my wife's card and she got a notification from the bank and said, hey, there was some suspicious activity on it, so we've cancelled your card. Um, Just be aware that any purchases you've made like in the last sort of 12 hours might not go through. And so she got a text message from Coles Click and Collect and say, hey, the order's ready to be picked up. And I was like, sweet, I'll go pick it up. And then she gets a text straight away and said, for some reason, the payment didn't process. And I just grabbed the keys and I'm like walking out the door and Emma's like, where are you going? I'm, like, I'm going to pick up the Coles Click and Collect. She's like, but, but you like we don't know because like, the card got cancelled. I said, they already texted you to say it was packed, it was ready. I'm going to go down and pick it up. And Emma kind of says to me, she's like, well, maybe you should just call to see first. And um, for those of you who are married, you, you know where I'm coming from. Um, you t- put the whole, like, well, I'm right, but I'll do, it to, I'll do it to satisfy you anyway. And so I was like, okay, I'll call them, right? Husband of the year material here. Turns out I call them, and there's no payment facilities at Coles for the click and collect. So I was wrong, but I think a supermarket should have FFOS facilities there. So that's why I'm kind of in between on that one. Um, and if you're like me, right, or, or if you're sitting in the audience tonight, and you're sitting here and you're looking at the people's answers beside you, which is totally legal, okay, like this game you're allowed to look at the people's answers next to you. What you begin to discover as you look at some of their answers to the questions that they had is you start to think to yourself like, well, I definitely wouldn't have answered that way for you. And the reason that you're able to say that is because you actually know what it's like to be on the other side of them. right? You actually know what it's like to try and tell them a story and have them zone off. And then have them sit here and say, I am a good listener. And you've experienced what it's like to be on the other side of them. You're like, no, 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 that's, that's not you. Some of you, you're like, you had this question and this has created more of an argument because you both said me, right? And both of you can't be right. You're sitting next to each other here tonight. You're in the middle of an argument. You're going to go into the car and shut the door and have uh, an argument before you come to have sushi to the max to figure out who actually is right. But the reason we look at other people's answers and we say, hey, I'm not really sure about that is because we actually know what it's like to be on the other side of them. And for the next three weeks, we're actually going to camp out in this series called The Other Side of Me. And, and this series is really a journey through some of our relationships. And over the next three weeks, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd invite you, if you're not a church person, if Beyond is not your place or you're new to the whole Jesus thing, I would say just come back just for this series. Like after that, you can hit the eject button and leave, like that's totally fine, but just come back for this series. Uh, for the duration of this series, because we're going to talk all about relationships. We're going to talk all about your romantic relationships, all about the relationships at school, at university, in the workplace, all that sort of stuff, and we're going to discover what it's like to be on the other side of us. And we gave this, um, this series a subtitle. We called it a personal reality check. Right? Because often when we find out what's on the other side of us, it's not what we expected. And it's often a little bit of a shock. And every now and then, we need a little bit of a reality check, right? And so the reason we're doing this series is because we want to kind of have a reality check in here so that you can have fantastic relationships when you leave this building. And in case you kind of aren't familiar or you don't know what a reality check is, this is the best way I could define what a reality check is. Um, it's discovering what a three-year-old thinks of you, all right? And the reason I say that is if you've ever met any three-year-olds, they are super, they are just blunt, right? Like they haven't got the whole social etiquette. Have you noticed that the older we get, the more polite we get, which means like the more dishonest we get? It's like, do I smell bad? And you're like, no, you smell great. And you're like gagging and like the, you got the gag reflex going on. But three-year-olds, they don't care. They'll be like, you stink. Like your breath is funky, you know, and that you don't even have to ask them. You can just like walk into the room and smile and they'll be like, you got something in your teeth, Like you've just tried out, right, your new plant-based llama shampoo that's supposed to like kind of give you anti-dandruff and you walk in and the little three-year-old is like, what is that smell? You don't ever do that again. Like whatever it is, don't ever do it again. And so really a reality check is just discovering what a three-year-old thinks of you. Because all of us need a little bit of a reality check from time to time. And so to launch us off into this series, I want to start by asking us all a question. And this is a dangerous question, right? The question is, how self-aware are you of the relationships that you're in? How self-aware of you, uh, self-aware are you of every single relationship that you're in? And here's the thing, right? This, this kind of question, it, we kind of want to say that we are really self-aware, because it sounds nice to be self-aware, but it doesn't sound good to be lacking in self-awareness. No one wants to walk around and be like, I'm not self-aware. But here's the problem with a question like this, is you can't know that you're not self-aware unless you are self-aware. right? And that's super confusing. So let me just like break it down a little bit for you. Because th- there was a researcher, and her name was Tanya Eunuch, and she did a whole lot of research into this word, into to self-awareness. She wrote a, a book called Insights on what she discovered with self-awareness. But what she discovered about this thing called self-awareness is that in our relationships, 95% of people think they're self-aware. Not 95% of people are, but 95% of people think or believe that they're self-aware. But what she discovered is this, is that 10 to 15% of people actually are self-aware. Right? And that's scary when you think about it, because that's 85% of the population walking around believing that they're self-aware, believing that they understand how, what's on the other side of them, and really not being, not knowing, not understanding, not being able to see what's on the other side of them. And so that's really why we wanted to do this series because we know that, like, for, if you're in this room, like, you're probably above the curve. Like, we've probably got, you know, our numbers are probably lower than 85%, but there's a lot of us who actually aren't self-aware and we don't realize what's on the other side of us in relationships, and And to kind of get us thinking about it, I wanted to sort of define what self-awareness is. So we kind of have a launch pad. Because it's one thing to say, are you self-aware? But then you're like, well, what is that? Well, self-awareness, it's simply this. It's the ability to see ourselves clearly. It's the ability in a relationship to know that when you shoot that text message, or when you give that brash response, or when you choose to say the things you do at the certain times because you know what he'll think and then you'll know that it'll push her buttons. It's the ability to actually see what you're doing for what it is. It's the ability to be able to, (coughs) excuse me, to be able to see clearly. And the reason why self-awareness is so important, the reason why it's such a big deal and why we're going to spend three weeks talking about it is because self-awareness solves problems. But right, right, you think about this, I was, I was actually at a, um, at a wedding last night, and uh, when they were giving the speeches, uh, one of the people who got married, they got up and they said, hey, um, we were actually together for a, number of, for a couple of months before, uh, and then we broke up for, for a while before we got back together, and now they've been together seven years, and, and now they're married. And she was saying, hey, one of the reasons that we broke up in the first place is because I was really, really needy, and I didn't realize it. In other words, I wasn't self-aware, and it created a problem. And so why this self-awareness is so important is it allows you to get ahead of and in front of the problems that you may encounter and that you may experience in your relationship so that you can solve them before they become a big deal. And tonight we're not going to look at like the picture of self-awareness or this is the self-awareness person that you should look up to and be like. I want to take a different approach. What I want to do is I want to look at someone who is incredibly lack self-awareness, had a huge lack of self-awareness, and I want to look at the problems that it caused in their life. And then I want to give everyone in this room an application. It's a question. It's a question I want you to ask going forward this week so that you can become a little bit more self-aware so that you can get ahead of some of the relational problems that you may experience in your life. Right. So I want to introduce you to the character we're going to be talking about. His name's David. This is David as in like the David, um, David and Goliath. David like the giant killer. And if you've never been to church before, chances are you kind of like maybe have an idea of like who David and Goliath is. Um, but if you don't or if you've never been to church before, um, you need to know and what you may not know is that David actually wasn't a warrior. right? Some people think like, oh, David killed this giant so he must have been a warrior. No, he wasn't. He was a shepherd. The only reason that he was on the battlefield is because he was deli- delivering a cheese platter to his brothers who were actually in the war. And so David kind of fronts up, kills Goliath, rises to fame. And remember, this was over 2,000 years ago. <clears throat> and so David uh, began to rise to fame. But the problem was there was already a king in the nation of Israel at that time. And his name was King Saul. And if you know much about like, the ancient world, if you had more leverage and if you had more power... Might equaled right. You could take what you want when you wanted it if you had enough power. Which meant if there was enough support for an unknown uh, young man called David, that was a threat to the king. And so the king did what any insecure king did. He chased David and tried to have him killed. And so David actually killing Goliath wasn't a great thing in the short term for him. Because David kind of fled for his life for a number of years, hiding out, trying to avoid being killed by Saul. Eventually, though, the story does turn out all right and David actually becomes king of the nation of Israel. And David begins to bring stability to the nation and, and it is just on an up and up and up, the nation of Israel. And David as well is on an up and up and up and up. Because everyone looks at David as this leader that gave them stability, that began to give them certainty. And David, everything was going well until he had made a terrible decision. And it was a decision that was fueled. By a lack of self-awareness. And I want to bring you in on exactly what happened when David made that decision. Here's how it starts. This is late one afternoon after his midday rest. Let's just pause. This is not related to the message at all. I just wanted to highlight that. Any king who's down for a midday nap is a king that I can get around, right? I just think we need more naps in our culture. So anyway, David gets up. He got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace, okay? These roofs in the, um, <clears throat> when David lived, they weren't roofs like we think of now. They were flat roofs. A lot of people would have slept on the roof in night because it was a little bit colder. So David's walking around on this roof probably after he's woken up there from his nap. And what he does is he looked out over the city. So he puts his hands on the balcony. And he takes his breath and He exhales. And he looks at this city that his leadership has created, that his intelligence is created. Everything really is kind of his because he's the king of it. And this is what he sees as he's looking out over the city. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty. And that's an unfortunate word, um, unusual beauty, because you're kind of like, what does that mean? I just look good like with an Instagram filter or like, what's the go, David? David really, what, what he meant is this was someone whose beauty was so unique he'd never seen it before. Someone whose beauty was so unique that he'd never ever seen anyone as beautiful or as gorgeous as this uh, person. And so David did what kings would do in that day and age. He sent someone to find out who she was. right? Like They didn't have Tinder or Bumble or you couldn't swipe right. And so if you were the king, your idea of swiping right was to send your messenger down to find out who she was. And so the messenger came back and he had the little bio and the messenger comes back and goes, hey, here's the bio, David. She is Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. The wife of Uriah the Hittite. Right there, that's where it should have finished. That's where David should have been like, whoop, you know, the Facebook profile says, married to Uriah the Hittite. I've got to tap out. But David, David doesn't. And, and we, we can't ever get inside David's mind to know exactly what he was thinking, but, but I kind of imagine that here is someone who has come from a shepherd boy to become the king of this great nation. And along the way, the fame and the glory and the power has got the better of him to the point where he genuinely believes, I can have whatever I want because I'm David. Do you know who I am? I'm I'm David who killed Goliath. Like, I'm David who built this empire. I'm David who took us from this unstable nation to this incredibly stable nation. And the rules, they don't apply to me. And this is what David did. And then... He sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. That was rookie, David. And, and we don't know whether in that moment, David was kind of like telling Bathsheba, hey, you should leave Uriah, hey, you should come and live with me, like, or whether this was just like a no-strings-attached friends-with-benefit deal. We, we never find out what David and Bathsheba spoke about, but we do find out what happened as a result. And Bathsheba sent David a note. And this is what the note said. I'm pregnant. That should have been the moment, right? That should have been the moment where David was like, I need to really take a long, hard look at myself. I need to examine and think through some of the decisions I've made. That should have been David's reality check. But it wasn't. It wasn't David's reality check at all. And the reason it wasn't is because in that culture, if you were found together, another man's wife pregnant then culturally, the man and the woman were put to death. They were stoned. And so David was, wasn't thinking about self-awareness. David was thinking about survival. And so David was trying to think, how can I get myself out of this situation? And so what he did was he sent a letter to the, commanding, uh, uh, the commander of Uriah's army. And he said, hey, I need you to send Uriah back to me. I've got some, some things we need to talk about. Because David's plan was if, if, was if he could get Uriah back in the city, then maybe he could get Uriah to have sex with his wife Bathsheba, and then maybe, like, they could just kind of be like, hey, look, this is, your, this is your baby. Like, who else would it be? But what we find out is that when Uriah came back, Uriah had such a high level of integrity that he wouldn't go home. And the reason he wouldn't go home is he said, David, I can't, I can't go home and see my wife when all my men are on the battlefield fighting and they don't get the chance to see, to see their wife, to see their children. And so Uriah actually stayed outside of town because he had such high levels of integrity. And David tried a number of different other ways to try and get Uriah to kind of go and and meet Bathsheba and make love to her, but they all failed. And so one day, David kind of gets fed up and he calls Uriah in and he hands him a note. And he says, Uriah, I want you to take this note and I want you to take it back to the commander of your army. It's very, very important that he gets this, okay? And so Uriah puts that note in his satchel and he marches back to the battlefield and he marches back to his commander in the army and he pulls the note out of the satchel and he hands the note over to his commanding officer, not realising that in that moment he was handing over his own death warrant. Because what David had written on that note was a letter to the commanding army officer and he said, what I want you to do is I want you to put Uriah right at the front of the battle. And then I want you to tell all the men to take a step back. Leave Uriah exposed and have him killed. David's idea was, if I, can't, if I can't cover it up, I'll just eradicate the solution, the problem. And maybe some of you are sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's kind of a nutso story, Chris. Like, but how does that apply to me? Like, how does, that, how does David, Bathsheba, Uriah, like, how does that work for me in my relationships? Right, because your self-awareness have never caused you to kill anyone, Right. Your self-awareness has never caused you to put a hit out on someone. But but here's something that's true of all of us, is that a lack of self-awareness kills relationships. It can kill them quickly, or it can kill them slowly. But if you're not aware of what's on the other side of you, over time, those harsh words build up. Over time, those insults begin to dig deep. Over time, your lack of compassion and your lack of understanding for the circumstances and your lack of empathy kills relationships. The good news for us is we can still learn a little bit because the story's not over yet. This is what it says. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> <coughs> you only start one cough and just keeps going. Yeah, you've been there. Um, when Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. Okay, David was polygamous. That was a cultural thing at the time. David had a whole heap of wives. This is what we discover. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Maybe if you're brand new to church, maybe you haven't thought about it. But God actually wants us to have incredible relationships. And it actually hurts God when followers of Jesus don't have great relationships with each other and with people who don't believe what we believe. And so God looks in on this situation that occurred with David and he's not happy about it. And so he intervened and this is how he intervened. So the Lord sent Nathan, the prophet, and if uh, you don't know what a prophet is, essentially it's a person who at that point in history would come in and they would often address ethical and moral dilemmas that were going on with either individuals or groups of individuals in that community. But he didn't sort of, sort of send Nathan to kind of point out David's flaws and point out David's lack of self-awareness. Because if you've ever tried to do that to a person, like it never goes well, right? Because everyone's like, no, 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 that's not me. So he sends uh, Nathan to David to tell him this story. And this is the story. We're going we're gonna to go through it really, really quickly. Story time at church. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle, The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb, and it grew up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. Like, that's weird, I get it, but it's a story, okay? He cuddled it in his arms, weird again, but it's a story, like a baby daughter. And then he goes on, he said, One day a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock, or heard, he took the poor man's lamb and killed it, and prepared it for his guest. And then out of this story, David kind of, we get an insight into David's reaction upon hearing Nathan tell him this story, and this is David's reaction. David was furious, which is so interesting, because David had done something similar to Uriah, but he sees this story being told and he is angry. And this is his response to it. He says, as surely as the Lord lives, he vowed, any man who would do such a thing deserves to die. Now, that's not like David literally being like, I'm going to go kill you, okay? He's using like hyperbolic language and he he kind of clarifies that in the next part. He says, he must repay four lambs to the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity. And then this is what Nathan says to David. You are that man. David, it's you. You're the rich man in the story. You're the guy with the lack of self-awareness. You're the guy who's destroying relationships. You're the guy who's destroyed a marriage and murdered someone. David, David, that's you. And really what Nathan is trying to get across to David is something that's so important for all of us here tonight. In fact, if you don't take anything else away from tonight, I want you to take this away that self-awareness grows when we're willing to look in the mirror. Because what Nathan did was he held up a mirror to David and he said, I want you to get a good hard look at the way you're living, David. I want you to see what it's like, what it's really, really like to be on the other side of you. Up until that point, David had just been justifying his decisions. He'd had no one outside him show him or hold a mirror up to his actions. And self-awareness only grows when we're willing to take the opportunity to stare into that mirror and look at what's there and not glaze past it not move around it but actually observe what is in the mirror. Now the problem for so many of us here tonight is that we don't have a Nathan in our lives that just kind of like pops up and tells us a story and we kind of get to look in the mirror, right? That doesn't happen often. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a question that you can ask It can be kind of just like your little Nathan, or just like your ability to look in the mirror. And if you're brand new here, we we always kind of have an application point of beyond, right? Because what we say all the time is there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it's not helpful for you for Monday or for the rest of your week. And so the application point for this week is really, really simple. I just want you to look in the mirror. Look in in the mirror. Not like the physical mirror, although you can do that if you want to, but I want you to look in the relational mirror. And the way I want you to do that is by asking three people a question. And I want you to, if you can, I want you to divide those people up. I want you to ask one person that you know really, really well. This might be your best friend. This might be the person you're in a relationship with. This might be the person you're married to. I want you to ask one person who knows you really, really well that question. Then I want you to ask a second person who kind of, maybe you're friends with, but, uh, but you're not super close, but you're, you're pretty good friends, so they know you a little bit. I want you to ask them that question. And then the third person I want you to ask is someone that you just kind of know, um, maybe loosely. Maybe they're an acquaintance, maybe they're, you're in, they're in a group project at uni, maybe you work with them, but you don't like work in the same department, so you're not super close. Maybe it's just that barista who you talk to every single morning for five minutes when you get your cup of coffee, and you don't really know them that well, but they seem like a great guy or a great girl, so why want ask them, and this is the question I want you to ask. What's it like to be on the other side of me? I want you to ask three people this question this week. And for some of you, <coughs> getting an honest response is going to be difficult because of what people have seen on the other side of you. And they might not sure if they want to be honest because of how you'll respond and, and how they've seen you uh, maybe interact and what they've experienced on the other side of you. So, what you could do if you wanted to, is you could say, hey, I want you to I ask you this question, but I want you to write your answer down. You, know, you don't have to tell me right now, maybe you can think about it for a day or two, and you can just jot a couple of dot points down, and then you can give it to me later. And I promise I won't read it when I'm in front of you, I promise I'll go away, and I'll, I'll read it so you won't, get a, you won't see my reaction to it. <clears throat> because it's not until we begin to confront what's on the other side of us that we can begin to move forward in our relationship. So I want to leave it there for this week. That's your little homework. Ask three people what it's like to be on the other side of me and then come back next week I'm going to talk about what we all found on the other side of us. But before I hand back to the band I'd love to pray really quickly. <clears throat> Jesus, it, is, it can be really challenging and it can be really difficult to ask this question. But I pray that this week that you would give us the courage to step out and to ask, what is it really like to be on the other side of us? And Jesus, I pray that we would be challenged by the answers. But I pray that we wouldn't be afraid. Because it's not until we look in the mirror that we can really grow. It's not until we look in the mirror that we, become a, uh, we are able to grow in self-awareness. And we're able to grow and have the relationships that you want us to have. So this week, Lord, help us to step out with boldness and courage and ask what it's like to be on the other side of me and we pray these things in your name amen